The second reading today comes from 1 Corinthians, verses 1 to 17, and it's on page 1050 of the Black Bibles. Paul, called an apostle by Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to God's church at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you, because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that by him you are enriched in everything, in all speech and in all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, my members of Chloe's household, that there is rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. Each of you says, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Was it Paul who was crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize, not with clever words, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Liz. You have joined us on a great night. We are starting a new sermon series in 1 Corinthians. And I love this graphic that Andy has put together. It's just chaos, isn't it? And I love the little subheading, 1 Corinthians, shocking revelation. God still loves his church. Do you ever ask why? Why would God love his church? Why would God bother with a bunch of people who often make such a mess of it. When you think of the word church, you might think, oh yeah, fighting, factions, divisions, hypocrites, immaturity, arrogance. Why would God bother? Why does God still love us? I was thinking this week, surely if I were God, I don't think that I would use people like me and people like you as the way that he would spread his message, would you? Surely God's God's got some better way of letting the world know how great he is and letting the world know about how wonderful Jesus is than through us, the church. Isn't it crazy that God chooses to use us, his people, to display to his world just how glorious he is? We are a bunch of, and I say this including me, we're a bunch of messed up, flawed people, but we're united in Christ. And God still loves us. 
I want you to imagine that uh, you're on holidays, you've gone overseas, and you're in this, this vibrant city, and there's, there's food, there's great food, there's great wine, there's arts, there's music, there's culture, there's sport, and you're having a wonderful holiday, and it's Sunday morning or Sunday evening. So what do you do? You're a Christian. So what do you do on Sunday? You go to church. And you spot this church. You think, I'm going to go to that church. And you turn up at your, say, 6.45, and you're, you're greeted outside the church, and someone says, you're welcome. Great to see you. I wouldn't talk to that person over there. They used to be a Baptist, you know. And so you walk into church, and you sit next to somebody, and you say, hi, I'm, I'm Paul. Hi. How are you going? Yeah, good. What did you do this week? I was in court this week. I'm suing that person over there. We're fighting, you know. And then the service starts. And it's absolute chaos. Uh, some people are, are, are singing, oh, praise the name. Other people are singing, shine, Jesus, shine, all at the same time. And then someone stands up and says, I've got a word. I've got a prophecy. I've got a tongue. And you're thinking, shut up. And then you go out for supper. And you're chatting to this person and he says, see that person over there? That's our church warden. He's sleeping with his stepmother. Shh, shh. People know about it, but it's okay. You're thinking, what? <laughs> and he chats to someone else and says, what, what did you do last night? I slept with two prostitutes. Whoa! And then they have communion over supper. And you know we have those little, little um, cups with some fruit juice in here at Church by the Bridge? At this church, you get a bottle of wine each. And as you drink the Lord's Supper, you get completely and utterly sloshed. Now let me ask you, what would you think of that church? Tell me. Messy. What else? Hypocritical. Lost its way. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Sexual immorality. Sin being swept under the carpet. Chaos in their gatherings. People thinking they're superior spiritually, spiritually elite. Fighting factions, gossip and slander. What a chaotic, messed up church. The problem is I haven't made up that story. It's all here in 1 Corinthians. That's the Corinthian church. Yet God still loved that church and God wrote this letter to that church. And in God's kindness we can learn from that church. Oh, but we're not like that, are we? We haven't got people who are spiritually superior and look down on people, have we? We haven't got people who are sexually immoral, have we? We haven't got people who are divided and fighting and slandering and gossiping, have we, at Church by the Bridge? It's not us, is it? Uh, it may not be as bad as it was in Corinth, but, but we, like every church, are full of flawed people. We're not perfect, are we? And we, like 
Corinthians need to learn what it really means to be church. Let me just give you a map of Corinth. Corinth is here in the southern part of Greece. Just to give, for those who like a bit of history, in about 146 BC, Corinth was a, was a thriving city. And then the Romans came and they basically desecrated it. It was left a ghost town for about 100 years. And a guy called Julius Caesar came and in about 44 BC, he brought a whole lot of what are called freedmen, Roman freedmen. And he rebuilt the city and it was known as a, the center of, of, of arts and drama. There was a theater and a concert hall for about 18,000 people. It was known as the, the center for sports and the center for excellence and food and drama and trading. It's a thriving city. But also known as the center for sex. Because up on the hill there was a, a temple. The temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. About a thousand prostitutes worked there. There was a phrase called the Corinthian woman. Basically saying she's a whore. And Paul comes to Corinth in about 51 AD. And he, you can read about this in Acts chapter 18. And he, he preaches the gospel. He talks about Jesus Christ. And, and guess what? What happens when people hear about the gospel? People are saved. And God in his kindness establishes a church here in Corinth. And you've got these groups of Christians that are living in this vibrant city. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a church surrounded by a culture where it's all about food and wine and arts and drama and sports and shopping and fashion and sex? Can you imagine that? That's where we live, isn't it? And Corinth is described as the, the New York, the Sydney, the Paris, the London, the Rome of the day. And it's pretty hard to be different in that kind of environment, isn't it? You see, what happened in Corinth was that the church in Corinth started to look a bit like the city of Corinth. And the culture of the city starts to invade the local church. You ever seen that happen before? So what's wrong when the... What's happened to a church when... The church looks more like the world than it does Christ. What's happened? I'll tell you what's happened. That church has lost its focus on Jesus Christ. The easy way for this church to look more like Kirribilli and Sydney than we do Christ is just to not talk about Jesus and not preach about Jesus. So what Paul does in 1 Corinthians is that he starts his letter by reminding the Corinthians of who they are in Christ, all the blessings they have in Jesus. Here's the first one. The privilege we have in Christ. We are, we are sanctified in Christ. See that in verse 2? To God's church at Corinth... To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints. What does that word sanctified mean in verse 2? Someone know? What does it mean to be sanctified? Made holy, 
set apart, both as a light. You've been set apart. You've been set apart from the world. You've been set apart for Jesus. You've been sanctified in Jesus. You've been made holy in Jesus. That's extraordinary, isn't it? If you come to Christ and you say, Christ, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And I look to Calvary and Jesus died for me. I've come to Christ. I've sheltered under the cross of Christ. Then God says that you are sanctified. You are set apart from the world. You're set apart for Jesus. And you're seen as holy in Christ. Now, why do you think that Paul starts his letter by reminding this church that they are sanctified? And here's why, because if you looked at them, sanctified is not a word that you would use. Holy is not a word you'd use to describe this church, but that's how God sees them, because they're in Christ. And you know what? If you want to change the morality of a church or the behavior of a church the worst thing to do is to set a new behavior code or to give a whole load of things they can and can't do that never works the right thing to do is to remind people of who they are in jesus in jesus you're holy in jesus you're sanctified to just be who you are start to behave as the holy people that god has made you See what, he call, see what he calls them in verse 2? Those two are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints. They were anything but saints, but that's how God sees them. And I hope that you realize that tonight, that if you're in Christ, that God sees you as a saint. That's extraordinary, isn't it? I'm not a saint, but that's how God sees me. Here's a second privilege. I love this one. They're partners in Christ. They're family in Christ. See that in verse 2, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. What he's saying in that verse is that because of Jesus, the Corinthian church and the Kirribilli church, we are united with, with millions of other people all over the world, all down the centuries, not because of our background, not because of our social status, not because of our intellect, but because of Christ. And I think Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, okay, Corinthian church, this church over here, this church that you are looking down on and you are fighting with and you are ridiculing, is Jesus Christ their Lord? Do they worship Jesus as their Messiah? Yes, of course they do. Is he your Lord? Yes. What does that make you? It makes you a family. So stop your fighting and start to be united. Let's push it, shall we? So, as we gather tonight over in Africa somewhere, let's pick a country, let's pick Uganda. There'll be people in Uganda tonight and they are worshipping Jesus Christ as their Lord. And they they might look totally different to Church by the Bridge. There might be dancing in the aisles. There might be no aisles, there might be no seats. They might just be dancing and praising Jesus together. Uh, They might have a sermon that lasts for two hours. But church looks very different. Now, who are we to say that what they do is wrong? Is Jesus Christ their Lord? Yes. Is he our Lord? Yes. So we're united. We're we're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. Let's bring a bit closer to home. As we gather at this very hour, there are churches less than five kilometers away. And they do church quite differently. 
They might have an organ and sing hymns. They might have their minister dressed in a dog collar or in robes. They might sing emu songs. (laughs) But who are we to judge them? Who are we to look down and say, we are right and they are wrong? Is Jesus Christ their Lord? Yeah. Is he our Lord? Yes. What does that make us? Family. Let's bring it really close to home. In this 7 p.m. service tonight, I can guarantee there will be people here who worship God in a very different way to the way that you worship. There are people who just want to do this the whole time. And people who want to do this the whole time. But is Jesus Christ their Lord? Yes. Is he your Lord? Yes. What does that make you? Family. So who are we to judge and ridicule and say that we are right? This is such an important truth, church. With all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours, it means that we are family and we are united and that is supposed to get rid of our divisions and our fighting and our factions and our judging. Here's the third privilege. Let me ask you a question first. If you were going to write to the Corinthian church, this chaotic church, to correct them, to rebuke them, how would you start the letter? I reckon the, the teacher in me would say, you woeful, wretched, rebellious, awful people, <laughs> change your ways. Look how Paul starts, verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I always thank my God for you. How can he do that? How can Paul thank God for these, this church that is so wayward? And the answer is the next few verses, a few words, because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. He says, when I think about you Corinthians, I, I see God's grace at work because you've been saved by grace. Sure, you messed up. Sure, you've got things to change. But remember, you belong to Christ because of God's grace. And I find the word grace such a beautiful word because it means church by the bridge that that there is nobody here who is superior or inferior. There's no better Christian. There's no worse Christian. We're all equal in Christ Jesus, aren't we? And so anyone walks through that door, if they claim to believe in Jesus, if Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior, they are marked by grace. And who are we to claim that we're better or worse than them? The fourth blessing is that we're gifted in Christ. He starts off by reminding the Corinthian church that by him, verse 5, you were enriched in everything, in all speech and in all knowledge. That The Corinthian uh, buzzwords of, of speech and knowledge, they thrived on their philosophies and their rhetoric and their knowledge. And he says, guys, you've got everything you need in Jesus You are so wealthy in Christ. In this way, verse 6, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that 
You don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying there is that we are waiting. We as church are waiting for that last day when Christ returns. And as we wait, God has gifted his church. And if you believe in Christ, you've got the spirit of God in you. And if you've got the spirit of God in you, you have a gift, a spiritual gift, a charismata. Now, some of those are supernatural gifts, there's prophecies, there's tongues, there's healings, there's miracles. But others are the mundane gifts, the administration, the hospitality. And the point is this, that nobody here who belongs to Jesus can say, I have nothing to offer. I have no gift. Of course you do. You've been gifted by Christ in some way. And this church needs your gift. And you belong here and we're we're family here. And, And the last blessing that you have in Christ is that you're assured in Christ I love this truth, verse 8. He will strengthen you to the end. As we wait for the return of Christ, as we are weak, as we are failing, as, as sometimes we feel as though we're just holding on to Jesus by, by, the, by the, the slimmest of, of, of holds, that, that, that truth that God will strengthen you to the end. God will keep you. He who began a good work in you will complete it. So that, verse 8, you'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine standing before God blameless on that last day? I kind of look at my life and go, wow, God, you've got a lot of work to do in me to make me blameless for that last day. But you know what? It's not down to me to do all the, the hard work. It's not dependent on whether I listen to John Piper sermons or to Tim Keller sermons or to Joyce Meyer sermons or whoever it is you listen to. Who is the one who will keep you? Who is the one who will strengthen you? Who is the one who will get there in the end? Look at your Bibles. God himself will strengthen you. Because verse 9, God is faithful. Look at those three words. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. What God promises, he will bring about. If God has called you to be holy, he will keep that promise and present you blameless on the last day. If God has has won you by his grace, he will keep you for all eternity. Now, did you spot the repeated word in in the first ten verses? What's the word that comes in every single verse in those first ten verses? Has everyone spotted Can someone call it out to me? Christ. Thank you. Paul starts 1 Corinthians by saying, verse 1, Christ. Verse 2, Christ. Verse 3, Christ. Verse 4, Christ. Verse 5, Christ. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Christ, 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 Christ. Why does he do that? Because he wants to remind the Corinthians of who they are in Jesus He wants to remind the Corinthian church that they've got to keep Christ at the center of their individual lives and they've got to keep Christ at the center of their church life. So let me eyeball you and ask you, is Christ right at the center of your personal life? 
Is your identity in him? Do you understand who you are in Christ? That you are sanctified, that you have been given grace, that you've been gifted in Christ, that you're kept by Christ, and that your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is he the most important part of who you are? And then is Christ going to be the center of 7 p.m. church this year? Will everything that we do as a church be about Jesus? Will he be center in this gathering? Because if he's not, I can guarantee that 7 p.m. church will just, bit by bit, slowly, 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 become more and more like the world and less and less like Christ. I want to urge you individually, make sure that you know who you are in Christ and make sure that he is center of this gathering. And then Paul goes on to say, I appeal for unity. Please be united in Christ. This is one divided church. They don't just disagree over the, the color of the carpet or whether they have drums in church. There is fighting and factions and cliques and subgroups. And so Paul says in verse 10, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers. I love the fact he calls them brothers. Yeah, they're messed up, but they're still brothers in Christ. I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. He says, remember who you are and agree. Stop being divided. Stop being factious. Stop fighting with each other. Please. According to verse 11, there's rivalry among you. What does that look like? looks like this in the corinthian church i can guarantee there'd be some people who thought that they were this spiritual elite they got the the better gifts they were more intelligent they had better bible knowledge they were in the right hive group they came from the right church before and so look down on each other and there's division and, and 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 disunity in this church and if the repeated word in the first 10 verses was the word Christ, what's the repeated word in verse 12? I. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. I'm with Cephas. I'm with Christ. Me, 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 me. And to give you the picture of this Corinthian church, you can meet some people and you say, I'm with Paul. The Apostle Paul, he's my leader. I love his sermons. I love his teaching. What he says I do. And others say, I'm with Apollos. Apollos came after Paul in Corinth. He was actually a more eloquent teacher than Paul. Uh, Apollos, he's my man. I love his sermons. He's so much better than Paul. I'm with Cephas. I'm with Peter. You know, he's very Jewish. I like, I like his rigor. And then the super spiritual says, I'm with Christ. I just love the Gospels. Don't bother with the epistles. Just give me the Gospel, Gospel, Gospel. Now what does Paul say to him? Is Christ divided? Verse 13. This is ridiculous. Why are you following human people? Why are you following human leaders as though they are your Lord and your Master? Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized into Paul's name? No. It's all about Christ. So why are you divided? 
What does division look like in God's church today? Again, let's start big. What do you reckon the Apostle Paul would make of all our denominations today? I'm a Baptist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm an Anglican. I'm a Uniting. I'm a Brethren. I'm an Open Brethren. I'm a Closed Brethren. I'm a whatever it is. Now don't, don't mishear me. We, we, we've got to fight and work hard for truth, haven't we? We've got to make sure the Bible is correctly handled and the truth is preached. But so much of our denominational divisions and arguments is all based over secondary mundane stuff. He would say, you're a Christian, aren't you? You're a Christian who happens to worship in an Anglican church. And what would Paul say to people at Church by the Bridge? He would say, I'm a 7 pm I'm a 5.30er, I'm a 3.30er, I'm a 9.45er, I'm a, I'm a Blues Point Road, I'm with the cool trendy ones who are starting a new church. He said, no, 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 you're united, you, you're one, aren't you? You're one church, you belong to Christ. And what would Paul say to 7pmers who said, oh, I love Paul's sermons, oh, I love Justin's sermons, oh, I love Ed's sermons, I love Dan's sermons, I love Andy's sermons. Remember who you are, you're a Christian. As long as these people help you to know Jesus better. I'm about to make a bold statement. You might disagree with it. Division and disunity in God's church is perhaps the greatest scandal that compromises our witness to Christ. Division and disunity in God's church is perhaps the greatest scandal that compromises our witness to Christ. When, when the people in the world see Christians divided and tearing each other down, could that be the reason why they don't look at Jesus? I mean, Jesus said in John 17, I pray for those who will believe in me that all may be one. May they be brought to complete unity so the world may know that you sent me and have loved me even as you, even as you have loved me. What, what, what Jesus is saying there is that the world is supposed to look at the church and go, wow, their unity means that Jesus must be real. Yet so often it's our disunity and our division and our fighting and our factions that may people say, well, Jesus can't be real. It's one of the most powerful witnesses, you know, when, when people who are not like each other, different backgrounds, different age, different stage, different style preferences of church, but they come together and they worship together. And there's no division and no disunity. So, so powerful, isn't it? So let me ask you at the beginning of 2016 at 7 p.m. Are there people here tonight where you're divided and you're fighting and you're factious or there's gossiping or there's slandering or there's grudges and there's a disunity or a hurt that needs to be healed? If there is, can I urge you and plead with you to do that? 
How are you going to do that? Instead of seeing the problem, see Christ. See Christ. Is he their Lord? Is he your Lord? And please be united. So what would God say to the Corinthian church? Yeah, you messed up. You're a crazy messed up church. But hey, I love you. And I want you to change. So remember who you are in Christ. And be united in him. Let me pray.